0: Good morning everyone, welcome to the True Potential podcast, this is Do More With Your Money number 86 and today is Friday the 17th of September. Um, I'm joined this morning by colleagues from the investment management firm, we have Jeff Casson, Paul Durrans and Chris Leyland. Um, Chris and Jeff, you'll know well from previous
1: broadcasts, Paul, uh, relatively new on the podcast front but um, I think this is my second, third appearance so... uh Welcome. We welcome, Thank you.
0: Uh, Paul, in a moment we're going to look at the, the markets, yep. what's happened this week, but before we get into that I just want to follow up on last week's podcast uh, which had a theme of the Great North Run. Um, we had runners from True Potential, from the staff, uh, we have sponsorship from many, many people and we're hoping today that we'll be able to close that. It's £6,000 uh, which is a fantastic amount. That's and awesome. True Potential will double that as well. So £12,000 going to the Sunshine Fund, which is a, a fantastic cause. Uh, just to let you know some running times out of the True Potential staff, Adam Anderson was first. He did 1 minute 41. Uh, ben Braben, one forty-eight, And Dan Harrison at 154. Uh Right at the other end of that, we have a, a lady who came in at 2.38, blaming Prosecco for mm, the time. So... Uh, <laughs> Typical. It has an effect, Paul. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> okay, Paul, moving yeah. on to the markets this week, there's been plenty of data, but not a great deal of activity.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, lots and lots of data this week, but uh, if we look at equity market returns just for the week, we saw really strong gains for Japan. That was up 1.1%, uh, continuing the momentum that we've seen for the past month, really, and that's just based on... The Prime Minister saying he's not going to go for re-election again, and that really buoyed the market. But elsewhere, we haven't really seen much uh, movements. The UK flat over the over The week. US slightly down, but pretty much flat. Uh, we've seen a little bit of weakness in China, continuing to see that regulatory concerns. Uh, in the bond market, we saw bond yields in the UK push higher. And that was on the back of the inflation numbers that came out, 3.2% on Wednesday in the US flat over the, over the week. We've seen a bit of movement within the energy uh, complex. So we've seen oil push up three and a half percent and a bit of strength in the dollar as well, uh, but relatively quiet, given how much economic data we've had.
0: Okay. Um, Paul, uh, again, just looking at at, at what you've been up to this week, yes, you've been watching the markets, but you've also been investing within the two potential funds. Absolutely. What what are the areas you've been looking at there?
1: Yeah, so given the the regular cash flows that we get in, we have to allocate those within the portfolio. So we've just been topping some of those areas that we prefer, the likes of Europe and the likes of Japan. In Europe, we've been targeting our Bailey Gifford European Growth Fund, uh, and then in Japan, uh, we've just been adding to our passive instrument there. Um, we've also been adding to uh, alternative assets, so not just stocks, not just bonds, but alternatives. So we've been buying uh, a new trend strategy. Basically, what that is, is it's looking for price trends in the market and then looking to capture uh, and benefit from those trends. So uh, that's uh, momentum driven pull. Yeah, very Good. much momentum driven. Good.
0: Um, you, you mentioned Bailey Gifford there and the, the, the reason you're doing that is to get active management yeah. within the fund so they're, they're,
1: they'll be targeting key areas Absolutely. within Europe. Yeah, we're, we're looking to, we see benefits of going active and passive um, and Bailey Gifford's been a very good active manager for us, very good stock picker over the very, very long term and is continuing to deliver great results for okay. us.
2: Thank you. Jeff, this week what, what's stood out for you? I think as Paul's alluded to a lot of the data, so we've been looking at the the inflation numbers and thinking about inflation across various different markets and just really the this, this point that we've been talking about morning markets, the podcasts around the the direction of travel for inflation over over recent months. Clearly, we've seen very significant rises in inflation. Some of the bottlenecks working their way through certain areas of the the economies being very robust, reading to very strong inflation levels, but starting to see maybe some of that come off a little bit, which has been good to see in the case of, of the US. But as Paul's mentioned there, we saw the, the surprise in the, the UK with that real kick up in inflation from, what, 2% in July to that 3.2% that we saw in in August. So quite a big step change there. And whilst maybe at the 2% in July, we thought it was maybe giving the the MPC a bit of a bit of freedom. Um, certainly they don't have much freedom at 3.2% and maybe we're getting closer to that expectation of a slightly higher in inflation rate. So that's certainly something that we've been thinking about but also discussing with their managers. We've been going through our calls this week. So it's been a real key topic of of discussion with them. Also getting their sense of you know, how inflation's likely to evolve over the next six, 12, 18 months, which is, is is crucially important for many asset classes. So that's been a, a real key focus for ourselves this week. Yeah,
0: and early in the week, when we were looking at the reports, there was a lot of activity around house builders. And uh, you know, uh, the markets are often driven by news anticipating what's going to happen and there's a link between the post office and Amazon there which yeah. which helped the post office share price rise. No,
2: yeah you, know, you think about it and you look at UK retail sales this morning the online component of that still remains exceptionally strong yeah. continues to grow it's well above pre-pandemic levels it's continued to increase that distribution that we need for that online and purchases that we all make as part of our, sh- our standard now as, as opposed to something that we maybe did on a, a less frequent basis mm-hmm. really needs delivered and uh, the opportunity I suppose to reinvigorate the post office might be a, a welcome sign for, for a lot of people um, if, where I live um, it's hard to actually to find a the post office Yeah. <laughs> so if, if we can actually see that being and why is that because you've, some of the services aren't there but you bring a relationship like that well it might give people the opportunity to think about well Actually, taking a franchise for a post office could be a sensible thing to do.
0: That's the thing. The post office was was the centre of the village, the town. Mm. At one stage, now it's tucked behind baked beans. Or. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. off-license counters and things like that. And I didn't look at you for any reason before <laughs> I said off-license there, Chris. Was um, that all baked beans? Used <laughs> sure. to baked beans, yeah. Well, actually, if these microphones are sensitive enough, they'll pick up Chris's stomach rumbling. So if anybody sees me smile on camera, it's because I've just had another message from Chris here. Um, I'm hungry, yeah. <laughs> Feed me. <laughs> well, Chris, you know, the work that's been done this week, uh, you've, you've been speaking to managers, you've been speaking to the investment partners that we have. What's been coming out of those calls?
3: Yeah, sure. So maybe just taking a step back, um, what we do as part of the True Potential portfolio proposition is we keep in constant contact with our managers and, you know, certainly compared to anywhere else that, that I've worked before, we have much more contact with the managers overall. And the reason why we do that is we want to understand what is their view around markets and how is that then playing into the decisions that they're taking overall around the funds that they run for us. Yeah. But I guess just thinking about the calls that we've had this week, um, really a mixture of topics, but I guess just at a very, very high level. I think our managers remain positive on risk assets overall so the areas that they're favouring are equities and they tend to be overweight equities but why is that? I think there's a few reasons in there. Firstly, they see strong economic growth coming forward this year into next year. So that's US, but also regionally as well. I think we talked a little bit about inflation and we know inflation right now is higher compared to what we've seen in the past. And there's a lot of reasons for that that are generally quite pandemic related overall or or to do with supply change. But I think the reality is that our managers believe that inflation, the higher levels of inflation, will be transitory overall. I think as well as that, you know, you've got quite a strong consumer, you've got a consumer sitting on, I think the global figure that had was $5.4 trillion worth of excess savings. So that's savings above what they would Mm -hmm. normally have as a trend. So that means there's a lot of pent up demand there as well. I think as well as that, you know, you're seeing better vaccination rates come through, you're seeing more and more regions starting to take up the vaccine overall. So I think in reality, you've got what I feel is is actually quite a positive environment. You know, there are risks to that, as there always are, but the reality is right now they feel it's quite a positive environment for risk assets. I think outside of that, we talk quite a lot around China, we talk quite a lot around Japan, and I know we'll probably focus on that a little bit later, but I guess just as a, a starting point, that's that's really what we're thinking right now.
1: Mm.
0: And I,
3: you know, there's... There's there's been a shift as well,
0: just a, a slight shift, I would say, in central bank policy, or, or perhaps the perception of what central bank policy should be. Is it controlling inflation, or is it getting full employment going again? And I think that 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 from from what you were saying earlier, uh, before the podcast, it, it it appears to be that 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 returning to full employment might be the short term. Um, Goal of, of, of many central banks, and we've got central yeah. banks meeting next week as Meet, well. Meeting you know. next
2: week, and I think it's, it's an interesting sort of challenge for, for central banks in terms of them <coughs> thinking about that dual policy mandate and how that works its way through in, in different regions of the of the world. And if we think about just even in the US where we, we still have some you know, 7, 8 million people unemployed that need to come back into to the system, so there's a lot of scope for, for people to come back. Before the central bank may think about changing uh, rates. Now, clearly, the other side of that is that we've seen over the course of time the the view that with the Fed last year, the ECB this year, changing how they think about that inflation target. So, not thinking about it as a as a hard number, but thinking about it as a range around that. So, with the Fed last year, moved to was it flexible average inflation targeting, yeah. mm. and then with the ECB this year, moved to to asymmetric movements around that that two percent level. Interestingly they've all aligned around two percent mm. which you know, we can debate whether that's the right number or not and you know as Chris has alluded to there some of the managers thinking that we might settle in the U.S. at a slightly higher level than that two percent for the the coming months.
0: Yeah and it comes back to market principle of supply and demand doesn't it because there's so much pent-up demand now that, that manufacturers and suppliers can pass the
2: cost on to the consumer and that's going to be seen in the inflation figures as I think, well. I think that's right. And that, you know, the thing that brought that really home to myself this week was the, 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 if you look at retail sales and a number of economies, you look at the US, they're, what was it, 17% ahead of their pre-COVID levels. Mm-hmm. The UK numbers today, we've got retail sales that are about 5.5% higher than they were pre-COVID. Yeah. So we've seen real strength in in consumption coming through um, particularly in the US where it's been really buoyed by, and this is where I suppose there's a debate, has the, the, the fiscal support been too much yeah. in, in the US that retail sales have been exceptionally sure. strong? Um, but then that's good for corporates. Corporates have been able to earn. Corporate earnings have been exceptionally strong. Corporate profit margins have been really, really high. And I suppose if we think where does that potentially lead us to strong balance sheets, further investment by these these corporates, positive for economic growth over the medium to longer term as well. So there's, there's a push and pull of inflation. Yeah. And it's what, what is the level that the central banks are comfortable with? And how do they want to move that forward from a a tapering, as it's been discussed, or a reduction of the, the support that they've got in, in
3: markets? I think, so I think the other thing is, you know, we all read headlines about inflation. And you know, a lot of people may be watching this, may may be a bit nervous about inflation, but the reality is inflation is completely normal. Yeah. You know, the Bank of England have a, a 2% inflation target. You know, it's it's normal for things to be more expensive as you move through life. It's normal for your wages to move up as you move through life. It's just, it, it's, it's part of life. And I think the reality is, is that when we look at inflation... You know, inflation right now is is higher than what we've seen in, in for, for a very long time. But there's a good reason for it. It's because of the pandemic and it's because of that cratering in prices that we saw in February and March last year. But the reality is, is that even if we do move to an environment of 2 3% inflation, you know, the Bank of England it has a 2% target. Yeah. Inflation is normal. And I think the other thing around inflation is and this is something that I think is really, really important, is that it really makes you think about where you're invested. Yeah. You know, the reality is, is if you're in cash, you know, what's the best rate on cash now? Maybe 1% plus if, a little bit, something yeah. like that. And that's, that really is the very, very if best can rate. Can you find that, can you yeah. let us <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably quite a big lock-in. Um, I'll drop like that, I'll make it half a percent. But, you know, the reality is, is that if you have inflation at, at say, 3%, then what's happening there is that your savings are being eroded. The reality is, is is you have to invest in risk assets, you have to invest in investments to actually make money now. And that's, that's exactly what we're doing with the true potential portfolio proposition. And that was the subject we covered in the last edition of True Insight, because we were getting quite a few
0: people asking about inflation, you know, will it it be rampant? And the, the view was no, this is transitory. And you know the 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 one that brings it home to me. I'll look at you again, Chris. It, it's part of like the the, the shortage of chips.
3: Yeah, but but you go to your jokes (laughs) today. (laughs) Not not the type of the stomach rumbling. You know, the the microchips in
0: the automotive industry. It's resulted in a 31% increase in used vehicle prices in the states, and that feeds into the inflation figures. So when we talk about supply line shortages, there's one real example, Uh, but there's other factors as well which are boosting. The, the inflation figures in the UK. And, you know, we touched on it just the other day, Jeff, with the, the, the government support for the hospitality industry, which was, what was it, eat out to help oh, out? Yeah. You know, it, uh, the effect of that is feeding in yeah, now. And
2: it's, it, and it's, it, it's all of... guess this, so this that was another joke, feeding in. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> just didn't pick up on that too early for me, sorry. But the, I think it, it is a really fascinating topic because it's the challenge of how do you forecast in this environment and yeah. you know, you, you see a headline, three point two percent. Oh dear me, that's quite high. Yeah. But you need to look into the data and think about why that's the case. Yeah. And the out to help out last year was very deflationary for the restaurant sector and the, the the food and hospitality. That then feeds its way through to the base this year. Yeah. And that year on year increase. So if you look at the actual chart of the year on year increase seventy I think around seventy basis points of that increase is just that 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 effect working its way through. Everything else is is relatively well behaved and I suppose that's the that's why at this point in time people need to, i.e. those economists that that we speak to, that we we listen to, to, to delve into the data and give us that view on whether it's core prices, mm-hmm. those things that we're all consuming on a regular basis, yeah, that are are increasing or not because the headlines are around certain areas, but for, for inflation to be sustained, it needs to be a general increase in the price level across the whole piece of the goods that are out there, and that's that's not what we're seeing just yet. It's very much tied to some of those those bottlenecks. The other one, the the one that's quite topical at the moment is just energy prices, yeah. and and where they're going, particularly. Not just here in the UK in the spot market, but in Europe in the Mm. spot market because of what we've seen with natural gas prices going up. The fact that we use a lot of renewable sources of energy today, but there's not been much sun over the summer. Not not much wind. (laughs) Not much wind (laughs) either. And so you've got a shortage of of those sources of, of generation at this point in time, which is, along with a number of other factors, causing spot energy prices to, yeah. to increase quite significantly, which will feed in at a point in time. Yeah. But then we probably argue that some of that is temporary. Yeah. We'd like to think that the wind will pick up as we move into, into <laughs> winter. It's, <laughs> very,
1: it's, it's very challenging, the whole inflation dynamic, because there's so many moving pieces. Um, and I think what's quite interesting is that used car prices that has yeah. really surged. You've actually seen that start to ease off. Mm. Um, and so that plays into that transitory nature, but it does change month month on month. The the big numbers will grab the headlines. But you have to really look into the details and yeah. we discuss inflation oh, a hell of a lot uh, between us.
0: You're right, Paul, about getting into detail. And, you know, Jeff's note this morning about the the, the morning market updates. We're so talking about the UK's retail sales dead and the fact
2: that food sales are down but there's a reason for that yeah it's 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 a bizarre one isn't it you think retail sales it would capture all of the activity in the economy but the UK number doesn't capture the good things in life us going out and eating in restaurants going out to a bar or whatever it's not there in the data whereas what is in the data is food we're not buying as much at a supermarket because people are going out yeah but that looks like a negative in in the retail sales, but you don't have the offset. And I think that's just the real challenge, isn't it, with with data? There's different ways of calculating so many things. Yeah. yeah. And it's the definition that different countries use for their inflation number, their retail sales number, even their GDP numbers, how they seasonally adjust it, et cetera, et cetera. There's just so many ways of... What is the right word? Manipulating data yeah, to to yeah. make it, it fit a story, fit a narrative that you want to use. You know, like, well, I'll not talk about the U.S. inflation at at the headline level. I'll talk about it at the core level. Mm. It's one point three percent lower by doing that. Quite quite helpful in some people's narrative, in others it's not. The final point on inflation before
0: we we move on. We, we're talking about UK inflation. We're talking about U.S. inflation, and you know you would you would think that. There's a, a common approach across the inputs into, into what is actually the inflation figure. But that's not right, is it?
2: No. <laughs> there's. I, 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 even this week when I was looking at the, the Office of National Statistics there, UK inflation reading and thinking about which one of these am I going to talk about in, in morning markets because there's three different levels and I'm thinking well. If I go into the one that looks at, at including household costs, I'm going to have to explain that. I'll just stay with CPI. I'll use that as the one that everybody's familiar with. And then you go off to the US, households are treated differently. Owner-occupier rent, how that yeah. feeds in or doesn't feed in. And then, you know, the ECB as well, they've got, a well, they've, they've spent, I think, 18 years of trying to think about what's the right way to bring um, housing costs into their inflation number at the review that they did a couple of months ago of bringing in the, the asymmetric target, they've brought in a measure of housing-related costs, but they're not sure if that's the right one yeah. yet. So yeah. 18 years of judgment, still not sure. Um, <laughs> but I suppose that's an economist, isn't it? You know, economists are dealing abstract, maybe, at times, yeah. shall we say. And, and, and
0: a European economist into the but mix. That, that it may be a more know, challenging it was, mix. Yeah, there's another 18 <laughs> months to go on that one at least. Uh, it's... Inflation is, is keen, as Chris put, you know, put it well before. Um, the, the, the way to overcome inflation is to get into asset-backed uh, securities, and that's yeah. very much what you've been doing, and, it, and Paul highlighted before, buying into Japan, buying into, into, into Europe, and, and looking at trends, a uh, momentum-driven approach. Um, one thing that, that, that comes through is when we've got strong corporate earnings, uh, that that investors do get rewarded through that, and the appetite now looks like it's moving into further uh, income distributions through dividends and share buybacks. How will we see that coming through? In the in, I'll ask you about the portfolios, yeah. and then Paul can answer uh, about how that will affect
3: growth-aligned the fund that the funds that Paul manages. Yeah, sure. So basically, you can get shareholder returns in two different ways. You could get a, a dividend return which is basically where you receive a dividend. So if you think about that in some ways, maybe like like interest on a bank account, it might be a very simplistic way of thinking about it, but basically a cash payment for holding shares in companies. So dividends tend to be more prevalent in areas such as the UK, less prevalent in the US. And then you've got also share buybacks as well, where the company buys shares. So both of these ways enhance shareholder returns. So, so these are very important things that, that we look at overall. Now, if we think about the income environment overall, what you saw in the pandemic is a lot of companies either suspend paying dividends and um, they did that for two reasons. The first reason is you know, because they couldn't afford to pay them because maybe the company was, was in trouble because of the pandemic. Or the second reason was actually maybe they thought it was more prudent not to pay dividends at that point because they wanted to hold that cash because they were nervous around how long the pandemic was gonna last. Now, what you've seen um, since the, the kind of eye of the storm, if you like, say sort of March, 2020, is actually started to see dividends come much more on stream. And actually that's been really beneficial for the true potential portfolio proposition. So we've got obviously normal standard non-income portfolios, which do benefit from that. We've also got specific income portfolios as well, so available within Cautious and Balanced, and they're really benefiting from that right now. So you're seeing that equity, higher equity income come through. As well as that, you're also seeing um, more share buybacks come through. So I think it was Microsoft announced it was $60 billion, $60 billion yeah. yeah, worth of share buybacks, which is a phenomenal <coughs> amount. Um, and that just shows... Um, again, you know, what we're seeing in the markets today, which is fantastic, you know, we've got Close Brothers, um, their biggest holding is Microsoft. So they've got, I think it's around about a 3% holding in Microsoft right now. So that's been really, really beneficial for them and therefore really, really beneficial for the portfolios. But I think the key is that actually, you know, we're still not there yet. There's still more to go with that dividend recovery overall. You know, we see dividends potentially recovering, um probably into 2022, maybe into early 2023, depending on which different region that you look at overall. Um, so actually, you know, there's still potential for strong mm-hmm. dividend growth to come through, just as part of that that pandemic recovery, as well as obviously normal dividend growth that you'd and see from and it speaks to
2: the recovery and the strength of the economy that we've seen, yeah. which feeds into to corporate profitability. And then the companies thinking about what are they wanting to do with that capital, that excess capital that they have. And You know, as Chris says, we've seen that dividend come back, but we've even seen a number of companies pay special dividends over the past couple of months, which, you know, it's slightly ironic that they over-raised, if that's the way to describe it, in terms of in the pandemic, in the eye of the storm, as as Chris described it, they went to the market, they raised capital to protect their balance sheet, to protect their business. Yet now they've got excess capital and are now returning that to to shareholders, which is, is great to see. Um, It it gives you that idea of the confidence that those management teams have, those boards have, in the direction of their businesses going forward, and we're we're seeing that come through. It also plays through, I think, to to some of this positivity that we've seen around Japan over the past couple of of weeks. It's maybe for... um, Prime Minister Suga. It's not a great thing that he's left, and the market suddenly rallied <laughs> yeah. a lot after. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's an expectation of positive change and a further movement. I think around corporate governance in Japan as well, which yeah. could allow some of those things around buybacks and increase return of, of dividends to to shareholders, and that it is an important part of of overall return. But it's also an important driver of stock prices. It provides yeah. support. It provides another means of. Of valuation support to, to stock prices.
0: I think Jeff. Before we leave the this this topic, I just want to get down into into why are buybacks good and what are the mechanics of buybacks? Because we, we talk about it, but not everybody will understand exactly what
2: what's involved in this. Yeah. So uh, it's it is a it's a complex topic, and there are differences as to why buybacks are favoured in the US versus why dividends are favoured in the UK and it all stems from that taxation impact and, mm. and how that feeds its way through for, for a corporate. In the US the preferred way of returning capital has been buy a share buybacks. What does that mean? It's effectively companies retiring, buying in shares in the, in the market. That has the impact of reducing their share count. And that then is a, is a positive in terms of the thinking that through from a valuation perspective. So basically you've
0: got the same value but less shares. Yes. Yeah. So those who are holding the shares are exactly. going to create the value. Exactly. Yeah. yeah,
1: the price goes up. price
2: goes yeah. up as a yeah. result. Um, and that, that has been very much what we've seen in the US. It'll be interesting to see if we start to see taxation changes to fund some of the the plans the the, the fiscal expenditure programs that President Biden has alluded to whether they change the dynamics for taxation yeah. on yeah. share buybacks in the us there was an article in the in the paper over the the weekend that looked at a number of senators seem to be coalescing around um, a bill to, to put through that would see tax added to, to share yeah. buybacks may see them well actually returning via dividends is is slightly better. One could argue that dividends is, is a better way of returning capital to to ordinary shareholders yeah. as opposed to the, the overall corporate entity.
0: Yes, yes. Good. And of course with, with dividends as well, Chris, we had a
3: regulatory intervention in Europe in particular which stopped banks paying dividends. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I think, you know, the reality is, is obviously um, the regulation is very, very sensitive around shareholder return. And particularly sensitive in the banking sector, so what you saw is actually, and it, it was in Europe, I think it was you know, in the UK, I think you actually saw it in the US as well, basically the regulator stepped in, and um, I'm trying to think of the words they used, but they they didn't sort of stop them from paying dividends, but what they said is they thought it was prudent for them mm. not to pay dividends. Now, what that means is they're basically stopping them from paying dividends (laughs) in reality. Um, But what you've seen is is that's changed now. And you've seen that come through. I think there were um, big payouts came through from, I think it was Morgan Stanley. I think it was Goldman Sachs as well. I think it would have been around about six weeks ago. Um, So, yeah, what you're seeing is really just a move back to a more normal environment. You know, we've, we've had the pandemic, which is obviously completely abnormal in for everyone's life. It's abnormal for markets, for asset prices. But what you're seeing now is basically a move back to, to a more normal environment overall.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think that's why we're in Growth Align being overweight equities for quite a long time, because we know the fundamentals are strong. We've seen that coming through in dividend share buybacks, and therefore it pays to be overweight equities which we're benefiting from.
0: And Paul, do you think you're going to continue on the the theme we discussed earlier? It'll be European, Japanese and alternative
1: investments rather than, say, UK? Uh, We've got a slight overweight to the UK as well. Uh, We think the the UK economy is strong. It's delivering better than we'd expected, say, six months ago. Um, And uh, it's good value as well. So we want to continue to have a marginal overweight but our preference at this minute is Japan, it is Europe Uh, we've got some active managers in Europe um, and we think these more cyclical regions will do better given the rate of economic growth that we've got just globally and that's well above trend and that's expected to stay above trend going into next year and you've still got a huge amount of stimulus coming through whether that's monetary or fiscal stimulus and so um, and financing condi- financial conditions are very very favourable as well. So, uh, we certainly do prefer those areas, those more cyclical areas, uh, and want to be overweight equities at this stage, and will continue to do so, um, throughout this year.
2: I suppose it speaks yeah. into that that view that we've had of this passing of the baton from of recovery, yeah. and yeah. The, and that that speed of recovery moving through economies at different paces, which ties back to first in first out but also the speed and the rollout of the vaccination program if we think about you know six seven months ago we were probably sitting thinking what's europe doing at the moment in terms of its vaccination rollout but actually that's accelerated quite materially yeah. sure and is is now really supportive of of that european story that paul's been discussing japan slightly later we go back to a couple of months ago the olympics concerns around the rate of vaccination there again that's pushed on quite significantly and that's supporting alongside political change yeah that all that, that is positive and again you've got a japanese economy that's tied into global growth and as we've discussed we think global growth stays above trend mm. this year definitely but also into to 2022 and maybe potentially yeah. slightly beyond that as well so supportive of that baton passing of, of growth that growth momentum
1: I think it's you know it's but it's it's not going to be one-directional no. you know there yeah. is going to be some volatility so it's important that we have a very diversified proposition which we do uh, and that's not just within bonds but alternatives so that's where the momentum strategy is coming in for yeah. us
0: I just want to touch on one thing before <laughs> I, I ask Chris about the portfolios you know you mentioned earlier the Japanese market's gone up because of one event in the political world. In the UK, we've seen a cabinet reshuffle over the last well, couple of days. Um, has that had any effect on UK markets?
1: No. <laughs> Everyone's
0: shaking <laughs> their <that>. heads. <laughs> it's a fascinating one where, if we think
2: about how politics is impacting certain markets, so we think about politics, Japan it has been, been a real issue. We look at, at China politics regulatory change driven by the political environment yeah. is really impacting asset prices and impacting the market there in the us very much focused around what president biden is trying to get through from an infrastructure mm-hmm. package so there's evidence where we're political the political backdrop is impacting markets is impacting asset prices for some reason in the uk there's, there's not that, that linkage just doesn't seem to be there. No. At the moment. I mean, what that means for, for Boris, I'm not sure. But there is a, there does seem to be a, a, a void in that reaction function yeah. at this point in time.
0: There's a, d- a different political dynamic in China as well, where re-election is not an issue at all. You no. don't have to out <laughs> to the public. But no. the, there's, there's things happening with within the Chinese market. You know, the the, the recent yeah. one was Macau. Yeah. You,
2: yeah no, you, it's just rolled through, hasn't it? We've seen regulation roll through from the technology area, from the the the, the ride hailing apps, DD etc., into the education companies in in August, and now we move on to the next thing, which yeah. is is Mackay. For those that don't know, Macau is the only area in in mainland China where you can effectively gamble. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a concession based business model for a number of casinos over uh, many years, and again, it's always been a risk. People have known that the concessions could be challenged. It looks as if the the CCP are having a think about whether they're appropriate or not going forward. So it's just another one of those regulatory issues. And, and you know if you look at the impact that it has, it's, it's very material. Yeah. Those operators that are tied into that theme have seen their share prices fall twenty to thirty percent this week. So quite significant impacts from a, a market perspective, from regulatory change or yeah. the, the thought of regulatory change. That's right, the
0: anticipation yeah. is, is what's driving it's things. Right, yeah. Now Chris, uh, Paul's gone through what, what he sees happening in, within Growth Aligned yeah. uh, and Global Managed, the, the, the funds that he manages. Yeah. With the portfolios, um, I know you've got uh, planning meetings today and into next week. You know, what what do you see happening in the rest of the year as we we head out of twenty twenty one into twenty two?
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think if we look through the rest of the year, I think the reality is we still see strong economic growth. I think when we think about the areas that we're positive on, you know, it's actually very similar to what Paul said. So. The areas there are the what we call the more cyclical areas. So they'd be areas such as Europe, Japan. They're the areas that, that we tend to be more overweight. Um, I think if we think about, you know, what are our thoughts moving forwards, you know, the reality is this year has been exceptional for returns for the portfolio. I'm incredibly pleased by the returns that that we've delivered this year. Um I think if we look forward, I think there's still room to deliver further positive return. And the rationale for that is in some ways, maybe something that Jeff said around passing the baton, you know, the reality is, is there's still a lot of regions that are really in recovery mode. You know, maybe arguably the whole world is still in recovery mode, but there's a lot of regions that are there that still have a lot of what we call catch up potential. So for me, um, you know, I'm actually quite positive as we move through this year into next year I think we've got a lot of really strong ideas in the portfolio. I think we've got managers who I believe are genuinely very, very innovative. Growth Aligned is one of them, Paul's obviously talked about the alternative positions, that trend position that he's looking at. We've got other managers that are looking at different ways of sourcing return outside of equities and bonds. So again, you know, if you were to see markets maybe trend sideways for a little bit you could have other assets in there that that will provide you good returns so for me it's all about having that diversification so diversification by asset class diversification by geography and this is a bit of a sales pitch but genuinely you know what i think is unique at true potential is diversification at manager style which you don't get anywhere else i think for me that that really is key moving forward and having those different managers with different styles different specialisms, different ways of thinking about making return overall, is the best way moving yeah, forward. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, you're right in what you're saying, we, we'll
0: be repeating what was being said on previous podcasts. Yeah, I, I always say the same no, thing but it's I, I, because it's important. You know, I, I, yeah. Chris will be some people watching this for the yeah. first time so we can't, we, it's yeah, yeah. not repetition for them, but the idea that, that we had when we set up the portfolios on a multi-asset basis is that there is always somewhere to go absolutely you know yeah. that if, yeah. if, if if equities yeah. are, are looking attractive we can move more into equities if we think the bond market's right for clients we will we'll put more money into the bond market so the 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 joy of having um, multi asset portfolios means that we can look at opportunities rather than worrying about what's going to
2: happen here what's going to happen there there's always something in front of us yeah. and it's forward looking it's the granularity of those opportunities yeah. so because of by virtue of the types of managers that we work with and the access to to product and solutions and even to build solutions that they have, it's not just about thinking about it in that narrow sense, it's like how do we target that specific area and those managers can go off and find that and that's what's I suppose the beauty of the diversification but also working with the managers that we do work with, they've got the freedom to do that They've got the resources, they've got the expertise, they've got the skills to go and identify those opportunities and exploit it within the portfolio in a very, very
1: efficient way yeah. for our clients. I yeah. think it's just the point as well that you were saying, Mark, being forward-looking, really important. Yes, we're looking in the next three months, but also thinking about next year. Absolutely, what yeah. could do next? well next year? Yeah. Keep an eye on emerging markets, just of how they've be performed, where they could get to on the vaccination front. That could be somewhere where we move to think about 2022 so we have to be forward looking
0: which is important. Yeah no, I think we've done well on the <coughs> podcast I'm going to spoil it now by saying Covid you know but it, it, it's it still is is it's, the effect uh, of Covid uh, and uh, how we yeah. move through it is important going forward mm, yeah. and for, for Chris you know it we could make Chris's job a lot easier by saying right you rebalance the portfolios back to where they were back to where they were when we launched them in October of 2015 and that's all you have to do but it's a little bit more challenging for Chris and the team because we say no, that's that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. This this going back to the black box is not right. You've got to look forward and you've got to position the portfolios for where we see opportunities in the future. I so, think
2: just to, maybe to add to that, it, it, that's why diversification is important because we haven't used the COVID word, but you can see the impact yeah. coming through in markets mm-hmm. on a on a, on a daily basis. It, it does impact the narrative about how people think. It impacts the economic reality. Mm. So if we look at China um, over the course of August, we saw a very very poor retail sales number for China, two, up 2.5% from what was it, 8.59% yeah. in, in July. Very much focused in on the restrictions that they put in place to dampen down the impact of, of COVID in that economy even though they've got a billion people vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And that can be seen, in, uh, you. Paul was mentioning earlier, the, the data in the US, you look at airline prices for, for August, they were off about 9% mm-hmm. because fewer people were travelling because of the rise of the, the, the Delta variant. So it, it's there, it's with us. Mm-hmm. It will impact activity. But again, it speaks to that need to have diversification in the portfolio yeah. and to use diversification to your benefit. So that, well, it might be an impact, it might impact there, but we've got other alternative exposures within the portfolio. Okay, that's great. Well, I think we're, we're just about drawing
0: to a close now. Um, when we got the brief for this week's uh, podcast, Graham said you'd like some laughs and banter. Um, okay. so, yeah, so we invited Paul along. <laughs> but the, the, the usual way we close is just ask everybody what they're up to this weekend. So Paul we'll start uh, with you. Well
1: we'll be going for some pints with Chris uh, tomorrow yeah. and some of the other of the team and then probably recovering on Sunday. Oh, so. good. Pretty contributing to the economy unrecorded so in the data but it'll be there <laughs> so I expect a huge s- spike in the food and uh, drink prices in the inflation numbers next <laughs> month And
0: I, I think what we'll do
1: is we'll also
0: record an alternative ending to this that Chris can show Moira which says <laughs> yes.
3: Chris is not going out this <laughs> <laughs> she knows she knows she's a, but no it should be good um, I haven't been in Newcastle for a while and um, and I haven't been out with, with the team for a while, so it's going to be quite nice just having a, a few relaxing beers on on Saturday afternoon. That sounds good. A, a few bean, a few a few seven, isn't it? Seven. Seven. <laughs> seven. <Yeah>. <laughs> Classic <laughs> few. <laughs> and Jeff
2: yourself? Uh, I've got a few things on with the the kids. It's good to see them back to back to school, back to doing most of their clubs and things. So we've got a tennis match, first tennis match for my my son this weekend. So we'll see how that oh, goes. Very good. Yeah, very good. And for me,
0: I've got a football match tonight. Um, oh, we're not, not going <laughs> to say too much about that.
3: Um, hmm. <laughs> I won't say too much about that. No prediction on the result? Absol- then, no. Well,
0: I, I would have a prediction, but I would be disloyal if I, ah, if if I, if I am. Not to share. Not to share. <laughs> okay. So everyone, thank you very much for watching. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, please continue to watch The True Potential, do more with your money podcasts. And from me, Mark Henderson, thank you very much. Subscribing to the True Potential YouTube channel is quick and easy. Simply go to the channel on your desktop or through the YouTube app on your phone and click the subscribe button. You can then press the notification bell symbol if you wish to be notified as and when new videos are released. Doing this is a great way to keep yourself updated with market developments and personal finance insights. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed and we
1: look forward to continuing to help you do more with your money.